All right, welcome to Back Chat. Another episode where we're interviewing people from the uh, the general Valorant scene this week. We've got Sean Garris. Sean Garris, thank you for joining us, man. Appreciate you taking uh, time out of your schedule as well to come on the show and, and have a talk with us about, uh, about all things Valorant. Yeah, what's up? Wait, wrong way. Which one <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd like to see you. Yo, You've gone up, for the corner-mounted webcam. <laughs> the corner. <laughs> it always freaks me out as well. I've got one that I've tried to tactically point away from the door, but it never works. What do you mean? Well, I've got a curved monitor now. I I recently invested in a curved monitor without having any internet, so I haven't even been able to use it (laughs) at all. And anywhere you put it, it faces you, but a little off to the side. What do you mean? It'll never quite face you perfectly. It's It's curved. You know how curves work? I've got a curved monitor. I don't have this problem. Or maybe you've got a curved head and it just <laughs> locks on. Or <laughs> I, I don't understand what your issue is. It always points off to the side. What, the webcam? Yeah, the webcam. Oh, no, no, you just put it shocking. in the middle. A shocking lack of basic geometry knowledge. <laughs> you just, I mean, you just put it in the fucking <laughs> middle of the monitor. But if I put it in the middle, it doesn't stay on properly because it's curved. And it's a, it's a flat web... Listen... I may have set it up incorrectly. Yeah, I think you have. I mean, I have. There are webcam stands. There are webcam stands. Yeah, there are. Instead, I've bought a DSLR, which it's not the... I'm going to put that right on the monitor. Are those actually better for playing games? DSLRs? No, not DSLR. No, curved monitor. I think they're worse, actually. I don't know. I I don't know about those. Have you ever played with one, Sean? No, but I was actually researching. Do you have like one of those big ones? Yeah, I've got like a... I accidentally bought a fat one. This is okay. I don't, our verbiage isn't really like driving right now. It's like kind of weird. <laughs> but I saw there's a lot, a lot of like dead pixels on the curve monitors. Do you have any dead pixels? I don't know. I'm profoundly unobservant. I don't think I do. You can check it. Well, yeah, yeah I could check it if I looked at it. There's websites you can go on. Oh, really? They, uh, they show like one color. Uh, I don't think I do, but at the same time, I am so unobservant, I wouldn't notice if half my monitor didn't work. So. Yeah, what do you do with a computer without internet? Like, wh- what are you doing with it? I've been sponging off the Wi-Fi of these guys because they live next door, <laughs> and I bought a Wi-Fi adapter, but the uh, the heat sink is on incorrectly, so it overheats every 30 <laughs> seconds and times out. So I've been trying this- to... I've been trying to download videos? Overwatch. For, uh, I've been trying to download Overwatch and Valorant vods to to catch up with the tournaments that have been happening, but it just overheats halfway through the download and stops. So I can't. I can't even do that. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna take us down a rabbit hole. Do you remember Infinite Solutions with Mark Erickson or something like that back in the day? Oh, what? Are you yeah. What? Yes, I think. Yeah, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like scammy, like yes. scammy, like yeah, troll yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's yep. like the OG troll. Yeah, he like had something like with Wi-Fi extending. Tech extender. support trolling. Yeah, yeah, right. it's amazing. You should really check it out. It's it does remind me a bit of your situation. I feel yes. like I've been trolled <laughs> relentlessly. Like, here it is. Yeah, Google TV beta. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally the OG troll. <laughs> He's so got a good. sick setup. It's really sick. Hey, that mullet is coming back into fashion as well. Dude, he it was really in Gmail is. beta. Is Gmail... <laughs> Gmail beta. I mean, that has got to be the early internet. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> anyway, let's... I mean, we can get into the meat of the conversation as well, as opposed to talking about your tech issues. Yeah, yeah. So we, we might be able to solve it. If you've got a solution to Josh's heatsink, 
not working on your wireless adapter. Yeah, yeah. Don't, Why does it have a heatsink? Because <laughs> it gets hot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. I've, I've, had, I've had wireless adapters before, never with a heatsink. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I could try playing ice packs to it, but I think the heatsink okay. is supposed to work better. Anyway, I mean, I think it's a good place to start, at least uh, with you on our show, Sean. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not talking about wireless adapters. <laughs> Uh, and instead, talking about, I guess, your, your switch into Valorant as a game. Um, obviously, you came from CS. You've had a, a long-standing career in, in Counter-Strike. And, of course, that includes the broadcast side of things as well. Um, but we'll start with, I guess, the, the general basics as well. What really caught your eye when it came to Valorant as a title? What made you want to switch over to it? Yeah, so actually, I had access to Valorant Ultra Alpha, but I didn't play it until the very last day of Alpha. <laughs> I played with uh, Nothing and Skadoodle. Yeah. And we, I just, like, copped in a server as, like, Sage or something, and they were just showing me, like, all the, all the different agents. I was like, holy shit, this game has, like, a lot of potential. Wow, it feels great. And the main thing that really caught my attention when I first played Valorant was the movement. It felt a lot like Counter-Strike 1.6 did. And that makes sense considering Volcano was heavily invested into it. And a lot of like the older CS guys, you know, dabbled into creating Valorant. And I was just so shocked by how well balanced the agents felt. And I, d I knew that it would be a hit title when, when I first played in Alpha. And that's when I really decided, hey, I want to play this game a lot just to learn how it operates. And... You know, even though I have a lot of opportunities right now in CS, I think um, I think I could be really passionate about this if it's what I think it is. And it turns out I was right, and I uh, I just really love playing the game. Honestly, I love playing the game. I love watching the game. Strategically, I think it has more depth than Counter Strike has. And I'm not saying it's easier or harder to play. It's just there's more you can do given the abilities and the maps and. Uh, all the different variations of looks you can give an opponent. And that's mm -hmm. what caught my eye. It's, it is quite interesting, isn't it, as well? Like, when I, when I saw Valorant, I saw kind of what Riot did to the MOBA genre of League of Legends, where they kind of simplified some aspects of it and made it more, um, I guess, digestible for, like, just the general audience. That's kind of what they've done with CS, because, you know, the movement is it's slower, kind of the gunplay is, like, a little bit, I would say, cleaner, almost easier to, to kind of... Uh, C, I suppose, and CS, like going from Valorant to CS back again, it, it's, it's kind of, you can quite see it's evident that they've done a lot to clean up the game and make it more digestible, I think, for, yeah. for like a casual audience. But at the same time, your point about it having all this depth with all the abilities and the agents and how it all comes in together, like you can see that there is, the, uh, the ceiling is, is, I don't know, it's fucking up on the 45th floor, you know? It's like, <laughs> the, the, there's so much room for this game to grow strategically um, just because of the nature of, of how they've designed it and balanced it. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, what struck me from your, your answer there, though, as well, is the, the balance of the, the agents. I feel like Riot have done just such a phenomenal job with actually balancing them to be able to make them <clears throat> work all together. And it seems like every time they release a new agent, people assume that it's going to be overpowered. And I know that that's an issue that they've had in uh, League of Legends before as well. But it just doesn't seem to be the case in this game. It's so, it's so beautifully balanced. There isn't too much stuff that's game-breaking, even though it feels like a lot of the abilities should be game-breaking. Isn't that a 
a wild thing to say about a game like this that it's taken something like cs where everything is so precise and it's added in nutty stuff like you can see people through yeah. walls and blind them through walls and all sorts of crazy concussion stuff and yet the game doesn't feel like it's uh moved away from its core too much yeah that's like the craziest thing right it, and i mentioned this a lot because i see riot catch a lot of flack from people in the valorant community about stuff being overpowered or busted and all i can think back to is in cs where we had like a broken aug for year it felt like years and then we had a broken krieg for like a year as well it's just like a broken cz for a year that stuff lasted forever and in mm -hmm. valorant they hot patch things super quick yeah. and when stuff feels op to the community i honestly think the devs know best in most scenarios like, for example, when Jet was first launched into the game, she was balanced. And everyone said Jet was under. She was she was trash. No one allowed you to pick Jet. And then they buffed Jet a little bit by, like, increasing her smokes to, like, seven seconds instead of three. And then she just became so overpowered. She's just so busted that they had to lower her smokes down to equivalent to like what they originally had it at. They had it right initially. And same thing goes for Omen. They had Omen kind of like in a good spot in beta. And then they buffed his smokes when everyone complained that Omen was trash and like a troll agent. And then he became overpowered. And now they had to nerf him again. And you're seeing that like across the board with like all of the agents that the community complains about. Anyone that the community thinks is underpowered and Riot buffs, that agent then becomes overpowered. And it's not like their buffs are just ridiculous, right? They're they're kind of like inching their way forward a little bit with the yeah. buff. And it, it just takes the agents over the line. So I trust the devs and they're very open too to people in the community. I've had conversations with them. Probably I've talked to the devs in Valorant more than I have the devs in CSGO, which is insane. Mm -hmm. To think about how long I've played CSGO, NCS that I've already spoken to the devs in this game more than the CS devs is kind of yeah, crazy. That that is wild actually. I mean the other thing though that they did with Omen was give him the best flash in the game that can go through <laughs> everything. Because what what did his flash do before? I can't even remember. It was like it um, was pretty narrow. Yeah, it, it was, was just it was more narrow. It I was think, narrow, but right? also it um it told it you when it was coming towards you. It was right? an instacast flash that was like coned outward. Instead of being like a bus, it's like it was like a cone. That was mm. very narrow near right. you and very wide, far away. And you got an indication and, when it was coming for you, so you would you would dodge it. Whereas now there isn't like a yeah uh, an indicator. But yeah, yeah now yeah, right. it'll blind your like three teammates behind you, your one teammate to your right, <laughs> yeah. and your eight enemies in front ridiculous. of you. So everyone's blind but you. It is yeah. I it love thinking that I've dodged a paranoia, and it hits me anyway. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I clearly see it pass by me three miles to the east, and yet I am still blinded by darkness. It is out of control. <laughs> um, speaking of the omen change, like omen in uh, general, I guess. How did you feel about the uh, the recent changes, Sean, with uh, omen and brim, and I guess trying to bring brim a bit back into the meta? Do you think those were reasonable? uh no i don't think it was reasonable so <laughs> i just i heard praising the devs but i'm gonna take a shot at that decision now so i don't think it was a good idea to nerf omen and it's not because i don't i think he was obviously the overpowered controller right when it comes to like viper and brimstone yes he's going to be picked more than them but i don't think the correct play is to nerf omen and slightly buff brim 
because all you're doing is you're taking away from support players in the game. And in a game where it's already super rare that someone's going to play and want to play a support agent, I think you should entice people to play those agents and not, you know, not make it harder. The barrier to entry should not be harder to play a controller than what it already is. And what they're doing is they're adding duelists, they're adding all these other agents. Those agents are very easy to play, very easy to get a lot of frags with. You don't need to support with them. You don't really need to think about overarching things within a round. And th those agents are very easy and you can succeed with them and you can climb ranks. And then they're making it hard for controllers. So the people that did learn to play Omen now should probably learn to play Brimstone. I don't like that approach. I think they should have raised the water of all the controllers, they should have made it easier to play Brimstone without nerfing Omen. They should have made it easier to play Viper without nerfing Omen, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what I think they should have done. Um, but this is an approach and it's cool. I'm glad that there's circulating metas within the game and also doing so allowed me to start playing Yoru a lot more, which is kind of cool too. Yeah, I've seen that on your stream too. You've been uh, you've been testing out the Yoru waters. I have been feeding relentlessly. With oh, Yoru. I've been inting so hard. I've been inting so hard. <laughs> Just before we get onto your debacles in ranks with Yoru, though, I wanted to ask a, another question about the 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 um, what do you call them? Controllers. I actually hate that word as well. I, the word yeah. that comes into my head is always just smokers because they use their smokes. But anyway, <laughs> the controllers. They. Um, I feel like one of the big issues though is that they just don't have enough in the game. Like that that always seems to be the thing for me is you're, you're picking between Omen and Brim and some people have tried to make Viper work as a solo controller, but it's just not. Her kit is designed to kind of augment or complement somebody else rather than be the solo person that's throwing down smokes on the team, in my opinion. Um, what would you like to see? If they did add another controller to the game, someone that was involved primarily with putting down smokes and denying vision from the opposing team, what do you think would be a cool thing that isn't currently covered by Omen and Brim that would be like a, an extra thing to add into the game and entice people to actually play those roles? Shoot, I don't know. That's that's a really hard question. I don't know. Like, what if what if you could have something like a mixture between like Sage and Omen, where you could like put a wall somewhere on the map? I don't know. And that but that wall could be broken, or that wall changes after time, or maybe it takes some time for it to you know, fully hardened, you can run through it in the meantime, but once it hardens, it's there for like 10 seconds. I don't know. I do feel like, I agree, Viper's kit is very static, so I often like having a second controller if I'm using her. I saw Angel do it like solo. Yeah, it I think it, that's out. pretty much the only team that's tried to do it solo. Yeah. At least from what it's I've seen. It's weird. You have to, I, I actually think you can get by in this game without playing a controller. I've said this before. Um, you just... You have to push and pull rotations in like a very specific way and you have to know like lineups obviously for your cages or all kind of other stuff to block off angles because there's so many things you can use to block off angles and take people off of lines in this game compared to cs um so it's possible without a controller even as viper as a solo controller just very difficult and angel pulled it off but yeah they definitely need to do something with the controllers i don't know i don't know what the answer is yeah, what do you it's a, think? It's a weird role, I think, because I, I don't know. I, I, I get the feeling that Riot's kind of philosophy is that they kind of want to begin a sort of process where a team composition is generally set up in a very specific way. Um, mm. And by that, I mean, like, they, they always want, I don't know, a team comp to contain a Sentinel or controller and maybe 
don't know. An initiator and a duelist at y- least, and then the fifth y- yeah. is a flex or something sure, like that. And, and, a bit and, and, like what they have in League of Legends. Some, yeah, some kind of process to kind of narrow down the roles. That might be a general direction that the game's heading in. Um, and I think when you look at the patch notes and you see their kind of philosophy for making changes, it kind of reads that way that they're trying to get into that position. Like they're trying to make Viper kind of that where you can play a Viper instead of the Brimstone or the Omen. But it's, a, it's weird because at the end of the day, people... Uh, I think are going to play stuff based off of what's fun. And I think what's fun for some people is like the, uh, your ability as a solo agent to be able to make plays. And Omen is really good at that, I think. You can play off your own yeah. paranoia really easily. With Brim, not so easy. I mean, you can use your Molly, I guess, to clear some corners. But uh, it's a weird balancing app they've got where they're thinking about how do I balance an agent in terms of the highest level of pro play where you've always got to be thinking like they're always going to be comboing utility with another agent, always going to be using it in the most efficient manner. And then you've got to think what well, they're also balancing it for ranked, like the lowest levels of ranked, which is where there isn't going to be team play. People are going to be picking agents that they think are going to be fun. Um, and this is an issue that CS obviously didn't have at all because there weren't roles to pick. But sure. yeah. other, other games, other hero shooters have these problems. Um, and honestly, there's no good solution to it, um, from what I can tell. From like every game that I followed, I don't think there's been a good solution for balancing versus pro play or ranked play. Yeah. 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 How do you guys feel about the initiators? I feel like the initiators are the strongest class in the game. Like Sky, Sova, Breach. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. So, I mean, insane. Definitely so insane. When you're, when you're talking about the value that a Sova or a Breach bring, it's... It's insane. It's kind of unmatched <laughs> at the moment, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I, sorry, even Sky. Even Sky. Like, yeah. have you guys watched uh, like a strong leg stream recently? I'll, I'll give him a shout out. He has like a hundred viewers, but he's number two in ranked. He only mm. plays Sky. You just throw your birds around at the start of the round. They tell you if people are in those spots because they're literally like recon arrows. Yeah. And you stack accordingly. And you have obviously a dog. Your alt is used for retakes. There's so much value in these initiator kits. And even with Sky's flashes, you can like throw one of those birds and just swing with it and not pop mm-hmm. it. And oh, yeah. obviously, if, if you're an opponent, you see the bird coming, you're going to turn or shoot it. So it's like a free kill. It's like you could play a duelist sky if you wanted to. Yeah. By doing uh, that. We, um, we were playing a game on split, actually, against the sky. And it was the most rolled I've ever been on split. It felt like <laughs> well, they it had was, a sky <laughs> and a breach. They had a, it was just yeah. in, it was never ending flash. But they, they didn't really do that much on attack. But on defense, they were pushing into our spawn. And we just couldn't hold them at all because we're playing at the level where it's like we're not thinking about, you know, setting up and playing anti flash and making sure we're always in a position to peek off them. We're just taking like eye bleach to the face. You're just literally laying down and taking it. Yeah. yeah. My eyes have never been cleaner than after playing that game. Yeah. They were pure white. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Maybe, perhaps, when, when I'm thinking about Sky, uh, um, at least when you mentioned the three initiators, I'm thinking about her and what I've seen so far in pro play, which has been limited and yeah. has been essentially only on Icebox and occasionally on Split. And most of the times when I've seen it on Split so far, I've felt that there wasn't an, as much value being gained by the teams running it as there would have been had they been playing Breach. But on Icebox, you've seen teams like Sentinels use it pretty effectively yeah. uh, with the A site hits. But... Yeah, maybe it's just, uh, I mean, this is another aspect of Valorant, which is that there is going to be a new agent released every couple months. Um, The the speed at which teams and and individual players can actually 
get accustomed to and effectively use the agents that are being released. Like at that point, there's already another one coming out. Like, yeah, I mean, people wild. have not max. I don't think people have maximized Sky's uh, viability by any means in pro play mm -hmm. yet. And already Yoru's being released who is an agent that to, to a lot of people, uh, it theoretically has a even higher skill ceiling in what you could yeah. do with the utility. And there's no way that Yoru's going to be maximized by the time the next no. agent's uh, released. Dude, so. I love, yeah, I love this train of thought you're on right now. Cause it's something I was thinking about too, is what do you think about how pros are incorporating all these new agents and, and even to an extent, like the new map, the new maps like yeah. Icebox and I mean Ascent and stuff like the split changes. Like, do you think that the pro teams are adapting at a fast enough pace for your liking, or do you think that it's too slow? You think that the pros aren't incorporating the new agents quick enough? They're not learning the new maps quick enough, and that there's going to be some team that just blows them all away. Because I'm I'm thinking the latter. I think someone's mm -hmm. going to step yeah, up and but, just blow all these teams away. But I think that comes down to whether or not the new agent that gets released is actually mega impactful immediately. Because I think the the recent agents that we've had in the game, even after they've been out for a couple of months, you're only you're only starting to see teams have like fifty percent viability with them. For example, like the new like Killjoy that came out four months no. Maybe four months it took, ago. It took yeah. forever oh, no. to see her used a lot. Uh. Yeah, it did. But yeah, it even, even now, it's not like she dominates the game. So if you think about, like, if someone had just come out and learned Killjoy immediately right at the beginning to a peak level, it would have given them a huge advantage because the, the other teams wouldn't have exactly, had the yeah. counterplay. But it wouldn't... It's not like it was a meta-defining agent, I would say. No. It's not like something like but Breach or Jet been. is currently. Yeah, but, it could have been. But I think it could have it been. Like, the meta could constantly shift every couple months but it's not because teams aren't adapting quick enough i think and i think mm -hmm. eventually it's going to get to a place where every time there's a new agent the meta will change drastically because teams will be forced to learn it like for example if a team were to just instantly start playing yoru on bind every time right now and just putting footsteps like in hookah or footsteps you know by shower and just activating them every time you hear a boom bot you completely negate the raises mm -hmm. ability to take that area of the map because the footsteps activate the boom bot and then the race can't progress up with it because they'll take damage and they won't be able to clear out the, this angle. So they'll have to use their nades on the other angle. And it's just, it puts a giant wrench in everyone's preconceived thoughts about how to take map control. And I just don't think pros are thinking that way yet. I don't you know, think, they're, they're kind of stuck in the CS mindset. I think the biggest reason for that though is that if you're a top level team, you want to play, if you... If you believe you have a great chance of winning a tournament anyway, you don't want to throw a wrench in your own plans by pivoting to kind of going all in on the new agent. Just in case, yeah. you know, when all the chips eventually fall down, that was not the best composition that you could have run at the time. Um, it does seem to make a lot of sense, though, for a team that's on the come up, that's yeah. trying to upset these big teams, that knows if they go head-to-head -head against a team like 100 Thieves, they're not going to be able to beat them. But if they, if they really hardcore focus on X kind of thing to push forwards then they could get a big upset result just by relying on the new agent and and having like a an idea of how to play him better than everybody else mm -hmm. well what do you think do you think that would have been your approach if you had been leading a team currently and actually playing valorant at a top level do you think your mind goes towards the we're gonna try and be as adaptable as possible instead of as refined as possible uh i don't think i'm the type of person to tell someone what to play but I am someone to say like, all right, you bet you definitely need to expand your agent pool. Like you should 
try to play multiple agents and I'll figure something out with, you know, the 12 agents total that our team plays, right? So like between the five of us, we play 12. Like you might play two, I might play two. I'll make game plans. I'll make game plans. Oh, I, I think we're losing you here for some reason. Your audio is Yeah, your audio dampening. Uh, went very low. Oh, I don't know what's happening. Okay, yeah. So basically what I was saying is if I were an IGL, I'd have like a group of agents that my team would play, right? So we'd play 12 agents as a team. Some of us <laughs> would play two agents, some would play three. And basically I would create game plans. Like if I'm playing Yoru this is how we're going to play. If I'm playing Sova, this is how we're going to play. And it would ease the burden off a lot of my teammates if I just tell them exactly how they're going to be set up and how they're going to be playing. But there's not a lot of IGLs like that in Valorant, I feel like, right now. And it's a lot of like, oh, you're comfy on Reyna? Okay, you're going to play Reyna till the end of time. And you're going to play Jet till the end of time. And this is ex exactly how we're going to play. And there's only so many things you can do on a map if you are stagnant in your agent pool mm -hmm. yeah. and things will get hard. They will get hard eventually. And that's what I think a lot of like the top Valorant teams are running into right now is they saw success. And a lot of these teams that saw success, they don't have success in other games. A lot of them, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them. And they're not eager to adapt and stay front running when they see that success because they think what they did worked and they're just gonna keep doing that. I see a lot of laziness. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that comes from, uh, I, I don't think that comes from like a, a stagnation aspect. I think it comes from like a lack of structure at the moment yeah. where the coaches aren't really settled in Valorant as a game yet. I don't think, uh, I don't think a lot of coaches are really thinking about all the tools at their disposal. Um, but this, I think generally comes with time with a game yeah. where you start to see more solidified metas develop off the back of the player experience, like players play time, they play the game a lot, so they understand what's strong when something's introduced in a game because of previous experience, they can spot the trends earlier as they come up. And that also applies, I think, to like coaches and, and people who are having an actual input into a team. Uh, they also have the experience, they have the knowledge to then say, okay, this new agent's come out. I think this would really be a good fit for us for this reason, that reason, whatever. Let's try it, let's play it. Um, at, at the moment, it's just easier for these teams because we've spoken to a lot of players and they've just been like, yeah, we're just sticking to our own game plan. You know, despite the fact that we're talking yeah. about Euro or whatever agent that comes out, a lot of these players are just the safest play at the moment is to do that. And I think it comes from a lack of, I guess, just experience playing the game of Valorant. And the longer these players play, the more inclined they might be to actually experiment a little bit more in the future. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think what we saw like in the early stages of Valorant were like dominant individual players that knew how to play their agents, like Wardell and Jet and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And it's a lot of individual plays. And then you saw like Sentinels kind of push it a little bit when it comes to like synergizing abilities. Like they mm -hmm. became very good with synergizing what yeah. they have. And I think the next meta, you can see TSM try to like fight back with like the triple duelist comp. I think the next meta though is going to be agent pools and changing them and not having like a readable gameplay because yeah. right now i i think a lot of teams are readable because you can't change that much like if you mm -hmm. keep the yeah. same comps your looks on the maps are going to be very very similar like and then it becomes super easy to read yeah I, so that's I, the there, next step there's no better example of that i feel than what we just saw in the nsg winter finals with luminosity versus sentinels 
Yes, actually, of, that's a very good point. I mean, yeah. that is the perfect example of yeah. this. Um, with Luminosity, a team rising up the ranks, and Sentinels, a team who's been on top that have realistically changed very little um, yeah. since we've seen them in the Ignition series. Um, and then they get caught out by a team on the rise. Yeah, that um, knows exactly how they play and yeah. knows exactly where everybody on the map is going to be because it's not a case of, okay, you could do some like really in-depth scouting on one series to try and pull out uh, ideas of how to counterplay an opponent. But if you've watched them play the same way over months, it becomes trivial to understand what they're doing because you just have seen it so many times. It mm -hmm. reinforces in your brain. You don't have to remember anymore. You you just know how they play because you've seen it so, so many times. Um, well, what I find interesting about this entire conversation, though, is because is even though it makes sense from a theory crafting point of view that this is how the game would progress in the future, people said the same thing about Overwatch and it ended up being, I want to say, pretty much the exact opposite in that the game started out with a lot of people swapping agents all, or swapping heroes all the time in Overwatch. They'd swap to try and counter what their opponents were doing, and the big difference in that game obviously being that you can do it on the fly, right? Mm -hmm. Like halfway through a round or whatever, you would be able to swap your, your hero around to counter what they're doing. That was considered a fundamental part of the game at the beginning of the game. But the more that time has gone on, the actual best play over the years was to find a composition that works for your team and works for the, the strength of the heroes at the time in terms of the game patch and maximize your efficiency at that. And so you really don't see teams swapping around that much. They'll have one composition they play for one patch, broadly speaking, and they'll just try and get as good as possible at that. And as yeah. long as you find the best composition, you will be the best team if you can execute the best. And that's, that's what I wonder about Valorant is whether... The Overwatch way of that is actually going to rule out, even though it makes a lot of sense that you would yeah. want to throw as many looks at an opponent as possible. I think it's equally possible that in the future, you might just have one uh, patch makes one composition the best if you can play it I don't think the so. best. So, so here's, I think the key difference though, is that there are going to be so many more agents released in Valorant than there are in Overwatch. Yeah. And when, and, and often in Overwatch, I could be wrong, but I, I guess I'm thinking most recently, like <laughs> Echo is added. Echo is currently one of the best DPS in the game now. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, and when was the last hero released in Overwatch before Echo? I mean, it was a long time yeah, ago, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be the key difference in Valorant. There's a new agent every two months. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more opportunity for a new agent that has that it's not necessarily broken, but has a high viability or a high That's, skill ceiling yeah. to be used and to be very, very strong. Also, I think even maps, I think, might be released more frequently than... Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely um, and agree. I, I mean, I, I've been... With the Icebox on screen and mentioning before teams not adapting to new agents and new maps, I, I don't think Icebox has been fleshed out even one-tenth of what it could be. Um, yeah. Every, every Icebox game I watch is still just so bare-bones. Um, just very static play, very similar, just A hit, B hit from almost every team I've seen. Yeah. One round where I, they look down mid, everything else is yeah, just a I, straight up A. Really <laughs> uninspired play on Icebox so far. I still think there's so, so much room for the teams to actually develop how to play this yeah. map, specifically how they're playing mid. Um, so speaking of Icebox, I'm going to make a prediction right now. The team that is the best team on Icebox is going to be the best team in the world in 2021. Mm. For now, for now, the first couple months. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. 
I'm saying this because it's the map that people like playing the least right now in, in pro play. And based on my experience in CS, this is always the case, is you control the map veto when you're the best at the map that people don't want to play. So Astralis got really good when they got super, super strong on Nuke. And then there was like the MIBR teams before that that got really good on Train. And then in the early stages of this game, it was Split. The teams yeah. that were good on Split yeah. were and the that's best Sentinels in the world. Well. Yeah. Sentinels were yeah. the best in the world at Split. And they just yes. immediately rode that to a number one spot. So the team that's going to be the best team in the world in Valorant in the early stages of 2021 is the team that's the best team on Icebox. Because they'll mm -hmm. control the vetoes. And if you're good on Icebox, yeah. you're probably good on the other maps. It's interesting as well when you say that because I can't think of a single team that I've seen that has been incredibly impressive yeah. on Icebox. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Who do you even say is like the best in the world or even just an NA at yeah. Icebox right I mean, now? I've seen some yeah. teams that have decent ideas on the map, but they also lose it to to other teams that are running just very basic AB yeah. hits yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So it, it feels like nobody's really cracked the code of Icebox no. yet at all. Uh, I mean... Yeah, a, a bunch of the, like, Vision Strikers have got some great tactical ideas on this map, but it doesn't work as well. They lost to Cloud9 Korea. Like, they kind of got yeah. rolled by them. Yeah. And Cloud9 Korea were not doing anything particularly amazing. They were just going for some pretty simple hits. Yeah. And it was very difficult for Vision Strikers to be able to hold them off. In North America, you've got, like, Sentinels and, and 100 Thieves, but I wouldn't say that I've been inspired by their play on that map. No. It's probably at the bottom of, maybe not both of their map pools, because 100 Thieves never play Split, and... You could argue that maybe, uh, maybe bind yeah. at the moment is like the worst map for um, for Sentinels, you might but maybe it, it would be Icebox. You might see it develop more now that they made changes to Icebox, like we did after Split. Essentially, that's where a lot of the meat of I think teams' playbooks come into effect is when the maps just get better in terms of the way they're designed. I think yeah. more playable. Did that happen in Overwatch? Where was like the are the best teams in the world in Overwatch good on? the maps that people don't want to play. The, the thing is, in Overwatch, the game is so um, fluid and it's not positional and in the same way, right? It takes longer to kill someone, so it doesn't matter if they peek around the corner first because that 0.5 second advantage is kind of negated just based on like whether you can mm -hmm. aim better or, or the other time stuff, to kill. Right? Yeah. yeah, the time to kill is way higher. So the actual map differences are way less pronounced than they are in other games. Yeah. It's basically whether you're good wow. at a map type like whether you're good at escort, whether you're good at um, uh, yeah. King of the Hill or whatever. So your point it, it earlier, Josh, really that much. when you were saying how Overwatch metas have developed where you, would, you just stick with one composition, I think what you were saying, Wyatt, is true with just... Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think what you were saying was true, but also I think the biggest point is that Overwatch is a game, the flow of it, whenever a, a game comes out, essentially the competitive side of things is, is figuring out the most efficient way to play as quickly as possible. Yeah. And Overwatch took a while, but it got to the point where the flow of Overwatch uh, kind of like happened where teams realized the best way to play, the most efficient way to play is not switching anything because if we switch, we lose ultimate charge. And so we need to find one solid composition that can last as long as possible yeah. and make one or two changes and that's it. But keeping the overall composition the same. Those kind of limitations don't exist in Valorant. Yeah, but, it, but it's not just the ultimate charge. It's about like you are good at one comp. You spend all your time scrimming one comp. You become excellent at one composition. But and I would argue that that... That is the re the reason that is the case is because of the flow of the game in a map mm -hmm. and how team fights are decided off the back of I don't know in some cases comboing like abilities of composition sure yeah. but ultimates ultimates are the things that win you team fights and so yeah. you're incentivized not to switch off of 
yeah. uh, but, heroes. But as I'm translating it back to Valorant, what I'm thinking is the top teams, even if we stretch into the future, yeah. will be unlikely to develop enormous depth in their uh, different compositions that they can run on maps because it takes up so much scrim time to get good at yeah. them, to develop such like rigorous ideas of how to play across many different styles. Maybe the longer that teams are around, though, they'll just these things will pile on top of each other. Just experience. Like, yeah, like you'll yeah. remember how you used to play when Rays and Jet were meta. You'll remember how you used to play when you, Breach was meta. You'll remember how you used to play when X was meta. And so three years down the road, you have all of this bank built up of, of old defaults that you used to run and stuff that you can mm -hmm. just tweak slightly whenever a new style of play comes into vogue. I, I could see that being very possible. Yeah, I think... The future of the Valorant Pro is the person that can probably like analyze what comes their way when they play a spot. So going back, Hookah is such an easy spot to use as an example. So I'm going to keep using it. So say you play Hookah, right? What's going to come your way? Probably a raise, maybe like a Sova drone. So like if you play Hookah, you should be expecting to stop those things, right? That's why a lot of times you used to see like Sages go Hookah. They would wall. They would wall because the Boombot can't come in. And if the Boombot can't come in, then the raise can't do their normal protocol and they can't get Hookah control. So like you're kind of taking away a piece of their utility for a piece of yours while maintaining map control. And the same thing could be said with like the Yoru footsteps, right? So like you could switch those agents because your goal is kind of like, all right, I'm just denying this raise entry. And that's the meta. The meta is I'm denying raise entry to Hookah, right? And people that can do that across any spot of any map are going to be the people that succeed in Valorant. Because then you can pick and choose your agent based on what's meta at taking your spot. So if you're playing showers on bind, you know, the Sova might recon the back wall. There might be a boom bot that comes in. So what do you want to do? Do you want to like smoke the end of showers? Yeah, that seems like a pretty good counter actually, like smoking the end of showers or like early boom botting as raised with, the, you know, smoking showers or having a paranoia ready to swing or combined with, you know, the Killjoy, uh, the thing that Steel did, the Killjoy alarm bot combined yeah, with the yeah, paranoia. Yeah. You know, like, all of those things are foresight of what's common in the meta and what could work to stop those things. And in Valorant, there's so many solutions. There's mm. so many, unlike CS where I would watch around and I'd be like, okay, there's like, there's only a handful of solutions that this team could do. I, it's very easy to read. In Valorant, there's like infinite solutions with all these mm. agents, right? And it's just, are you creative enough to create a solution, right? Can you do it? and surprise the opponent and the people that succeed in that are going to be the people that succeed in the game and that's why 100 thieves won first strike and they'll probably continue to win because yeah. still is that type of person yeah do you think that maybe there's an inherent problem um for some percentage of cs players who come to this game and being forced to think creatively to stay ahead because it's something that hasn't had to happen to the same extent in CS uh, as other games that are getting consistent updates, new uh, heroes or agents, new maps, etc. Yeah, I think so. I think even even I fell prey to this. Like I, I I'm aware of it, and I still fall prey to it. Like as a CS player, right? So I got really good at Omen, and then I was just like, all right, I don't really. I got good at Omen by like watching a ton of content, like a ton of content. I've, I'm very honest about it. I watched like Mopork. I watched Flex Ninja. I watched every Omen content creator you could imagine, right? And I would watch Myth streams. I would do so much research. I would 
constantly be like looking into like how to improve my gameplay. And then when Omen got nerfed, I was like, okay, so now I'm gonna have to do this all over again for a new agent. And I did, I have to, I have to do that all over again, right? I'm still like kind of in the process of doing that with Yoru. It takes a long time and it takes a lot of effort, but that's the type of person that I think is gonna be like a good pro. I'm not trying to go pro in this game, but I think that is the play for pros is like putting in tons of work because mm -hmm. there's only so much you can do while scrimming, you know, four hours a day, while rank playing ranked, while focusing on your aim. But all the content that's that's created around games these days, you can literally just like wind down every now, like 30 minutes of content and learn so much. So so much. Yeah. Let's uh let's discuss your Yoru play in ranked. <laughs> oh, what have you it's an infest. <laughs> what have you been up to? What's been happening? Is he uh, is he tickling the spot that Omen has left bare and empty? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you this. He's super fun. He's super fun, and I think there's a lot of potential with this agent. And I keep telling people this when I stream is, it's just a matter of time. This this agent will be big, and it's it's obvious when you watch Riot the way they add things into the game. There's, they're never going to add a dog shit agent to the game. It's just not going to happen. And if they do, they're going to buff that agent. And that agent's going to be in the meta eventually. So I'm pretty confident that Yoru is a good long-term play. I'm investing <laughs> yeah. early in Yoru right now in the yeah. alpha stages. But, right, right. Game's um, stocks. <laughs> I think yeah. he, he has so much potential. Those footsteps obviously create a lot, a, a lot of problems with sound, but also... Like I said, they stop a boom bot, they activate an alarm bot, they activate the turrets, they break cypher trips. There's so many things that his kit does that is just unrealized right now. So um, another example would be like, yes, his teleport is super loud, but if I can reposition my... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah, happened I don't, there? That's a, I don't know. I don't know. I still don't know what happened there. I teleported <laughs> into my death in my spawn. What happened? I don't what? know. What happened? Is this the is this the bug people were talking about where if you teleport and as the teleporter dies, you, yeah, oh, it is. you die. Oh. It is, yeah. yeah. The teleporter just ran out and you teleported, and so it lets you teleport, but then it f makes you fall off the map. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, a known but rare bug because you have to time it so precisely. So something I love about Yoru too is his his flashes are very very different than any flash in the game. Right, the opponents can't see them until they bounce off of a wall. So I was kind of tinkering around in a custom server and I realized like on split, you could throw these flashes just off of the map. They could hit something like deep off of the map. And then mm. obviously the, the enemy can see them if they hit them deep off the map. But flashes in Valorant blind you almost full length, regardless of the distance. It doesn't mm. matter if it's like right in front of you or like a million miles away. So you could throw something so far off the map on split B site and someone looking rafters into the site would just be full blind. And you can do that with your reflashes, but you can't do that with like breach flashes, or you can't mm. do that with an omen blind. You can't, it's difficult with a sky flash because they would see the bird traveling. So yeah. I like think the there's bird a lot was of potential. going off to find its home in a, in a tree somewhere yeah. off the map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, why, why is that bird going over in that tree? Oh, I'm blind. <laughs> yeah. We said actually when we were talking about Yoru that it would be some nerd shit. Like, yeah. the, the I mean, really, it, like, somebody would nerd it out and find great flash spots, great ways of making use of his abilities, and actually 
the the way of getting success out of him was to be mega nerdy with where yeah. he wanted to look for uh, yeah. for how to maximize his potential. Yeah, I mean that's I I I thought initially upon seeing that his flashes would be the most powerful in the game because the potential with him is just kind of limitless, and if you learn lineups, you can actually just pop flash people around corners. Um, yeah, I, I I think that it's gonna take a while for for Yoro to be I guess fully developed in pro play, but yeah, I, I still expect him to end up there personally. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the uh, general pro criticism oh not criticism but um downplaying of yoru's potential i saw that a lot of the pros were tweeting stuff like even though he initially people were excited about how powerful he looked the ultimate seems incredible the fact that you can teleport as long distance as you possibly want if you give it time it seems nuts on paper but when the pros were using it out and then tweeting about it afterwards, the general consensus appeared to be that he's not really that good. He's not really that viable to, to be played because you can get counterplayed so incredibly hard. Like Everything makes a loud noise. It's difficult to pull off these plays and countering him is easier than outplaying with him. Uh, what, uh, with you exploring Yoru, where do you fall in this, in this debate? I definitely think he's a little weak. I don't think he's like super, super strong, but yes, the outplay with the telly, that's just not, that's not it. Like people that are like, why aren't you using your telly super aggressive? Like, why aren't you just throwing it into their spot and then flashing and then coming into it? It's because I truly think that the law, what's going to happen when people start getting used to your is they're just going to break the teleporter. They're not going to play the mm -hmm. games with you. Like, right. They can just break your teleporter. So yeah. if they see or hear it coming their way, they're just going to shoot it and break it. Cause they're not going to play the game of, I'll just camp it. And you know, cause they'll get in these situations where they'll get pinched. Right. Where if you allow that teleporter to be behind you and you're just focused on it and the hit comes and like a recon comes back sight and an omen blind comes and then all of a sudden, you know, the aura TPs in and kills you. They're not going to allow that to happen in the future. Yeah. They're just going to break the teleporter. So in the long term, what's going to happen with Yoru if he remains the same is the teleporter is going to be used to reposition a lot like a jet dash. And yeah, that's the, it's just like a jet a jet dash except it's not as quick right it's more that's, like that's you would want to take quick. an aggressive peek and then use the teleporter to to get out if yeah uh, if you get stuck or show like a super heavy presence on like one side of the map but have your teleporter like traveling to the other site and then just like tp there so i do it on ascent all the time like i'll do a lot of shit on like b site on on defense and then i'll have my teleporter going all the way spawn to a and i'll just tp to a and i'll just be like stacked a at that point so right, the right. other team thinks I'm B, but I've just TP'd all the way to A. They can't hear it because it's in my spawn. And, you know, like, that's how I would have some impact as Yoru. Whereas, like, throwing a TP into mid or something like that, they all hear it. They know it's there. It's so risky. There's yeah. So risky. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could work. It, I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah. How do you like uh, How do you like playing versus, I suppose, like, I guess the broadcast side of the game and... Um, I guess streaming plays into this as well, and your 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 type of career. You've got a very unique perspective, I think, on uh, on this entire situation because there's not many people who do who have done it all. Essentially, that you were a pro player, um, you're now kind of essentially almost like a full time streamer, right, in this capacity. But at the same time, you're you're not a stranger to any broadcast work when it comes to like the analytical side, but also like actual live casting as well. Um, how how do you foresee your your career going in Valorant in that regard? 
Oh, oh my god, dude. The whole casting thing is just so crazy to me. Uh, uh I I don't know. When I so I always studied like sciences and stuff like that in school. I never took English classes, so I'm very poor when it comes to public speaking and just uh I don't think I'm I, I don't think I have a very good vocabulary. I'm not very strong in that suit. So I was super surprised when people enjoyed the first right cast so much. Um trying to like work on that aspect a little bit and uh yeah i'm I'm flattered and i'll probably keep doing it as long as i get requests i like playing because it it helps my knowledge in that area as well and i always figured like you know even if if all of this doesn't pan out like i could always coach a team i've gotten offers like gm teams and stuff like that and I think right now my passion is honestly in like content creation and casting. I I really do have a good time casting. Like I think it kind of shows when I do cast. Yeah, it's I'm super passionate about it. I think you guys all are too. I've watched so many of uh, Sideshow's streams and stuff like that. And it's just the strategy in this game. I'm super passionate about it. So it's yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, it's also I guess easier in a live environment when you're live casting. Because correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure how much casting you did when you were in CS. You did a lot of analytical work. That's where I knew you from, um, was obviously when you were a player, but also your analytical work when you're on the desks in CSGO segments and things. Casting's a pretty new aspect, right, in uh, Valorant I, for you? I've, I've definitely casted in CS. I've, I've casted as like a player at the major. They let me cast yeah. like a major finals as a player, like my second major after I got knocked out of the major. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, this what, was back what, in the day. Was that? that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was like the second major. I was like, no. So I, I did desk at Katowice, which was the second major after I got knocked yeah. out in quarters. And then I did, I casted the finals of like Cologne the, the year right. after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like... I for mean, free, most... by the way, for free. We were doing all that for free. <laughs> no. I just thought I'd throw that on there. So most people no, would no not be in the mental state to do that. I feel like I can't imagine asking a player in the Overwatch scene to do that. Yeah. They, <laughs> we we might ask them a, a few days down the road, but not for like not for the grand finals. <laughs> they'd be in a. They'd just be pissed for weeks afterwards after yeah. losing. It was a very dark finals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> zero zero hype. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, these guys are good, I suppose. <laughs> oh, what do you know? They're throwing another flash. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I much prefer casting, though. I think it's, it's something different. Like, you're telling the story of a team, especially in a game like Valorant, round by round. Like, you, you can have the knowledge, but when you're on the analyst desk, because uh, me and Josh, we did the analyst desk in the Overwatch League for, what, two years? and then Yeah, two years. Yeah. Two year, I can't even remember. My time is a lost concept these days. But the, uh, yeah, and then we moved into casting. But like the, the certain things I like about the analyst desk, but with casting, you, you get to tell the story live of what you're seeing, of the, of the stuff as it's happening. You know, you see a sick execute, the way that they're comboing a lot of their utility. That's the, a lot of the joy for me. Wow, look at this. This is old school. It's really old school. Yeah. The, um, yeah, what I... What I enjoy as well, and I think that I get the same impression from you as well, Sean, when you're doing the, the live broadcast that I saw during First Strike, is that there's a genuine joy for me in, um, in watching strategy play out. But there's also a joy in sharing that with other people that would otherwise not get that joy. It's like people would watch and not understand all of the layers involved. Yeah. 
But if you can show it to them, you're like sharing your enjoyment of that with yeah. them and helping them also enjoy it even more. I don't know. I, I really feel rewarded doing that. I really feel like Vision Strikers would still be flying massively under the radar if it wasn't for your Vision Strikers video, by the way. I, I, I've showed that to a lot of people so far. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, I don't, he actually changed the the meta. In, yeah. uh, I really think he changed, changed the, meta, the NA video. meta with that one video. And that after one video. That, everyone started doing all of the like flash yeah. and dash it, it was it was actually like a contagious disease and they ran that play into the ground yeah. or it just yeah. can't work anymore <laughs> yeah it is it is crazy though it's a lot of fun to um to see those ideas kind of develop and go from scene to scene it's yeah. i don't know there's so many cool things about this game that i enjoy doing do you think you would have ever Okay, what would it have taken for you to try and go pro in Valorant? Would you have had to be like five years younger or at a different point in your career? Like, do you think you would have to have been like, wait, what? Do you think there was ever a world in a parallel universe where you try and become a pro player in IGL for a team in Valorant? Ooh, probably not. Probably not. I don't know, man. My personality is just so so crazy it's like if i were to commit i know i know what i would get like i would get like super crazy i would be like up all night creating strategy mm. like my daughter would probably be like i don't know not going to school in a couple years like you know we'd have no house like it would just spiral out of control i would i would literally spiral out of control i can't i can't have that you know? yeah it's like an obsessive competitor i've got a family basically. now so I, come yeah. on yeah. <laughs> yeah fair fair um what do you think then about the the different values of doing these things so the 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 immediate topic that springs to mind when we consider the value of like playing versus streaming versus casting the the player that immediately comes to my head is tens mm -hmm. because he just has mm -hmm. ostensibly moved into content creation now i thought you were gonna say douglas apper well, yeah, D Douglas Apper's a legend of the sport, but I think he's got a bit more of his time playing in it. But, but for me, like, Ten's moving into uh, content creation. He's, he's, I, we all have our tinfoil hats on when it comes to Ten's. Let's go, about... let's go, thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. <laughs> oh, let's we... go. I, I know, I got to hear this. I haven't talked to anyone about this. Go. Okay. Oh, well. I mean, we, we had a whole yeah. episode where we were just going through the, the, the general tinfoil hack. I mean, foil as, as soon as I heard it, I immediately what I read, what the what the uh, supposed truth was, what they were feeding us, I didn't believe it. <laughs> I immediately didn't believe it, and we came to the same conclusion, yeah. uh, theoretical conclusion, which was that it had less to do with the uh, the content creation, wanting to take a break, and all, and more to do with the decisions from the Cloud Nine team. Uh, removing Shinobi and, you know, t removing him from the team, both as a, a player and an in-game leader and a friend of 10s, and then trying to bring in someone new because he wasn't performing. And then the team looking like it had no chance then, of winning. Yeah, and then the team yeah. just being, I mean, they had a really poor showing, uh, and I can't remember the tournament, but they just lost three games in a row. And uh, it, it looked like it was about to be rough times ahead for Cloud9 and 10s, being one of the best players in the game uh, was just, it, it had more to do with the actual decision-making of the team and less to do with him wanting to be strictly a content and creator. everything he said on stream indicate, he, everything he said on stream is like hinting, oh, I, I, yeah, I might come back, but who knows what team for? And like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm currently, 
Uh, I'm currently with Cloud9 unless someone bought me out of my contract. <laughs> you know, it's like everything he's saying on stream does not indicate that he is long-term committed to content creation or even committed for the rest of the year until lands come back. It's It all just smells like he's just wanting to get bought out by a different team. Yeah. What's really weird to me is... Okay. <laughs> I feel really weird even saying this publicly because I love Cloud9. I actually love Jack. But if you were Jack Etienne, CF Cloud9, and the best player in the world in Valorant and up-and-coming esports came to you and said that they wanted to quit the team and be a content creator. I mean, it, this is where it's so weird, right? Because I know, I know that content creators make way more money than esport pros like mm. i i know this i don't at this stage because i'm still small but someone 10 size could yeah. kill it as a content creator like yeah. absolutely destroy yeah. it and same thing with like wardell right but so if like if cloud nine like didn't have like a content creation team would this move have ever happened like i don't know like if it was just like a traditional sports team, like could this ever happen? It's so weird to me. Like it's so weird that the best player in the world in a game is just gonna stop playing the game to play like casually. Like it's just so weird to me that that could even happen. Like, but my that... my thought process with this is that it rarely is profitable for um. It's rarely profitable for brand, for like elite level players to actually go into it, even when they can make more money in the short term. Um, normally, for starters, they've been driven by their competitive spirit to become the best in the first place. It is very, very rare that you get an elite level player without that kind of drive. Mm -hmm. So normally they don't, they're not inclined to do it when they're at their peak. They, they wait until they've dropped off a little bit. And the other part to this as well is that being the best in the world at Valorant is what propels Tens to being an extremely successful content creator in the beginning. And yeah. right. if if he had immediately gone into content creation at the very beginning of this game, he might be big, but he wouldn't be. I don't think he would be as big. No, without that proof that he was dominant in the pro scene yes. from the beginning. That reputation, that legend, has led to an increase. Now, for me, I would say that's only like less than a year of that legend of that reputation. If instead he believes there's a way of crushing the game and continuing to play like he is for two years his reputation is only going to increase he's only going to be a bigger content creator when he eventually goes into it anyway that's that, so i'm even though the direct economics do make sense for a lot of pro players to go into content creation i feel like the best long-term move especially with how short all online careers like this are yeah. is to maximize pro career and then transition once you've peaked or like once you've started to dip from your peak even. Oh, just... I, I agree completely. I think this is a decision that if Tens like goes through with, he could regret, right? He, he could regret it. He, will, he won't regret it financially, but he could regret it because these He'll are be his in the prime years. These are the <laughs> prime years in his, yeah. his gaming career, right? Like he's, he could just tear it up. He could win. He could build such an insane brand as a competitor. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, looking at someone like, even someone like Shroud, my friend, like, he quit playing kind of near his apex as, like, like he went into content creation because, I mean, it's just easier. There's way less stresses and you yeah. get more money, like, and you set your own schedule. Like, 
there's so many benefits to it at, for these pro players that I don't know, man. Like, yeah, it's it, it's such a tough spot. You just, the other option as well, though, is doing stuff like Hiko does, where he's all he is currently a top level competitor in the game, and whatever spare time he has, he invests into the the stream, which is his side work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, it's it's not his primary work at the moment but it's brand building it's continuing that and i'm sure the income that hiko gets from content creation is nothing to sniff at either but no. you can sustain that at the same time as being a pro it takes a lot of work and not just work but time but it is still possible to keep it kind of ticking along until you want to go full-time into it yeah you just it, it, it's very strange. It's such an outlier case. You never, I, I can't think of another example where you've seen this happen in a new esport where this early on, a player that dominant in the pro landscape leaves for creating content. I just don't yeah, think. It's not like he was falling off. He wasn't no. falling right. off or anything. He was but like that's a, I the mean, best player in the world. Yeah. And when, when you look at the, the scope of the scene as well over the next year, um, and you look at uh, you know, some of the, the, the tournament number metrics in regards to the actual viewer counts for the finals going up, et cetera, there are going to be other players who are going to be getting the center stage, notably like uh, people who may, may have a same or a similar like audience or target market as tens. Someone like Asana, yeah. who will be probably dominant over this next year with 100 Thieves. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he takes up streaming, whatever, if he, be, I mean, if he, you know, rockets up to the top of the Twitch list in Valorant as well. Yeah, it could happen. Um, there, there are people like that out there who are going to be taking advantage of what seems like perspective there will be higher views for the Valorant tournaments this coming year with more Riot support, international tournaments for the first time. I mean, it's, it would be tragic and very possible that Tens won't be on a team, won't be playing at the first international tournament. We're yeah. not going to see, we're never going to see Tens play against G2 or Vision Strikers, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate. And that's a lot of uh, potential, you know, missed out attention if you're thinking about it strictly from the business and the numbers end. Um, I also think about people like, um, I, I don't know whether you're aware of Seagull, Sean. He was a, an Overwatch streamer. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. And he blew up on Twitch based on his early success in Overwatch, continued that whilst having a, a pro career. And then dipped off, I think, in 2018, I want to say. Yeah. He went into full-time content creation. Midway and, portion of 2018. Yeah, and he, he recently tweeted about struggling with burnout and depression. It was like this last week he was talking about that. And that does also seem to be a recurring theme with content creators as well. You, kind of, you can pretty easily get stuck in a rut. I think it looks like a great job from the outside, but it also has a lot of additional... Um, pressures and responsibilities that you put on yourself and if you see those numbers dwindling down you can you know feel like you're doing something very wrong and it can lead to um you know brain chemical instability too it's it's uh, i don't know it's not the it's not a dream gig for everybody sure um a lot of work as well you you're, you're, yeah. you're literally you are working almost six days a week be honest and in some cases yeah. people are streaming every single day yeah like but at the, the same time a lot of people really love it as well yeah yeah so uh, it's it, it's a weird one overall For, i i can't see 10 staying into content creation just all no. of the hints this is why, where we began with this where we were talking about our tin foil hat <laughs> theories yeah. like it it yeah. just 
everything Tens has been saying, the, the kind of lead up, the kind of mystery around it, uh, I I'm, would not be surprised to see Tens back in the game, uh, the midway portion of 2021. Something like that happens. Yeah. Or maybe, I, I don't I know. hope not. I hope he yeah. goes back into playing because I think it's, it's kind of like... Hmm. It's a shame kind of a to not see look. the best compete. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad look for esports if like content creation can just pluck you know the best player. Like yeah, that, true. You know? I mean, yeah. yeah, definitely true. Yeah, the um, the opposite side of that though as well is that content creation in Valorant has been so successful, and the game itself has been very successful on Twitch and on YouTube. It started out not doing very well on YouTube at all, and now the no. numbers are ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what's what were your expectations coming into the game being like for the actual success of the game? How successful do you think Valorant is at the moment compared to the expectations, like the size of Riot, the fact it's competing against CS? Have you been, have you been, actually, I don't even want to lead you. What, how have you been feeling about the success of Valorant this year and heading into the future? It's so hard to say because it's kind of like a black box with Riot. Like you could open up Steam and just see the numbers, right? Like CSGO is at like all-time high player base pretty much at this point. And it's easy to see the growth in CSGO, whereas Valorant, all that stuff is behind closed doors. Only Riot has access to that info. So mm. I don't know how many players are playing the game. All I know is how many people watch the tournaments. Um, I am disappointed in the viewership for anything not Riot run. I am very optimistic when it comes to stuff that Riot runs, though. Especially the numbers after seeing, like, First Strike and... Uh, the Ignition Series finals and stuff like that before that, I am very, very optimistic when I see stuff like that. But I think there could be a lot more done to inflate the numbers of these smaller tournaments. And um, that's that's kind of disheartening is watching like these NSG tournaments, like 5K viewers and, you know, like 2K viewers. It's like these are top 10 teams playing in these. Like it, it's kind of like... Mm, what's going on here? Like, how 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 are how's the viewership so low? You could probably create better times, create better reach. Can Riot help in certain ways? Like, I, think I don't a know. Large like, part there, of there needs to be a lot from, done. Uh, the casual user base. I think Valorant absolutely has a massive casual user base, and it's connecting them mm -hmm. to the pro scene and showing them where to consume that type of content. Because when it's easy to find, like just these YouTube VOD reuploaders. Yes. getting hundreds of thousands of views on these matches. And the way that would translate in terms of live viewership is uh, ridiculous. Like if this was a live VOD, like the, it, it would be off the charts in terms of esports titles. But in terms of the live viewership, you don't really see the same thing. I think it, it comes down to that uh, lack of connection. There's not really the advertisement into these lower level tournaments. I mean, these tournaments here, I don't I mean, what, are, what is this? Um, this... The, uh, the channels that do the Valorant VODs, um, like the highlights, basically where they just cut down the matches to the, the, the action. Yeah. There are so many of these channels, and I mean, they're doing very well in Valorant. I mean, you even saw there, like, there were tier two NA teams there near the top. The, the games, some of the games are getting like 30K. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a massive team. outperformance compared to the, the Twitch viewership. Yeah. Um, there, I think there's a, my theory is that, uh, I feel that a lot of the audience that has crossed over from Fortnite competitive that are more YouTube minded, um, just because Fortnite has such a large YouTube reach, a lot of those viewers are, are gravitating more towards the uh, Valorant matches that are on YouTube. 
versus watching on Twitch. Um, what do you yeah. want to see them do to get the numbers up for live games? Do you want to see like in-game integrations? You need yeah. um, you need to show people where to watch it because this is the yeah, thing I feel like that it needs to be in-game, right? It needs yeah, in-game in or like the website or like just I mean, in the launcher, like the way that they do with with League of Legends, you need a way to to attach people to it. In Overwatch, we saw the same thing, I think, with third-party tournaments not getting good viewership, at least in comparison to the way that the Overwatch League launched. As soon as the Overwatch League launched and all of the user base knew, oh, there's Overwatch Esports? Oh, I just watch it on overwatchleague.com. I just go to overwatchleague.com. I go to twitch.tv slash overwatchleague or youtube.com slash overwatchleague. That's where I watch the esports of this game. When that happens, which I think it will start to with the, the, the Valorant Challenges um, yeah, series, yeah. That's when you're going to start to see the, the viewership really skyrocket. But we saw the same thing in Overwatch. Tier 2 tournaments, like these, these third-party tournaments, did not attract attention because, I think, people don't know where to watch it. They, they just released the ValorantEsports.com website as well, yeah. which is going to have the list of uh, places to watch um, the Challengers uh, series. What is it called? The Champions Tour. Champions Tour. Yeah, Valorant yeah. Champions, Valorant Champions Tour. Tour. At the moment, it's just a countdown timer, but I'm assuming that when it fully gets released, when when the Champions Tour begins, when Challenges begins, it's uh, it's presumably going to be a list of here's where you can watch, here's where you can watch in your language, here's the teams and the schedule and that kind of stuff. You know, maybe it'll be a bit bare bones at the beginning, but that should be the eventual goal. You can see yeah. the comparison with lollysports.com, which is where people follow League of Legends. Um, and that, that does help. I think also having things in the in-game client where it's just maybe an extra tab that is esports or something would be mega helpful. Mm -hmm. Where it just says, hey, this is live right now. We have that in the launcher for Overwatch as well when uh, some of the games are happening. And it's, it's good for just being able to translate casual viewers. I, no one's ever published a study on like how many people actually, you know, is it effective at translating a portion of the casual viewership? But theoretically, it makes a huge amount of sense. Mm. And this, yeah, this is how the LOL Esports um, website works. And I would not imagine it would be too much different. Like anything that it's they're doing for League insane. of Legends, it seems like they're going to try and do for Valorant. <laughs> I like these guys' get-ups. I like the suit. That's so what loud. Oh, my God. Kimono? There's so many things going on here. <laughs> There's so much really to talk a, about. Yeah, a lot to dissect. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see them trade jackets. And, and yeah? I think that would be a really good look. You think, you think so? so? I think so, because I think the dark beard is blending in with his jacket. And to see the dark beard on the background of a sequined, mm, sequined suit point. jacket, holy moly, uh, sign me up. Yeah, the guy on the right <laughs> looks wise beyond his years. <laughs> <laughs> Truly does. He does, yeah. He's wizened. Yeah. Yeah. That's a man I would trust. He could tell me anything. He it's, could tell me anything, I would trust it. It's funny, though, Sean, you were saying, like, we don't know the, um, the numbers for Valorant and, like, the success of it, because with Steam, you can just check the player base. You can see how healthy the game is in terms of concurrent viewers. But, Josh, you were saying that there was a, yeah. there was a post that came out where people have, essentially, they've taken the data from the new rank system, where we know that, was it, is it Immortals? Is, if you're in Immortal, you're in a 0.3% of the player base. Is I think that what it's it is? if you're on the leaderboard, you're in the 0.3% of the player base. Okay. I think so. That so was taken, the calculation. They've taken those numbers, they've taken a 0.3%, and they've calculated how many people are playing ranked in each region. Yeah, they've done the number crunch. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't have the numbers on me, Josh. But you I think, them up? Yeah, I think Kurt has we, them to, to be able to pull up. Yeah. But this 3 is, billion people. 
Yeah, it's a lot. It's no? it's it is a lot. I mean, it's not three billion, but it is a lot. So yeah, but you also have to remember that you can't directly compare this to numbers oh, released good. on on Steam, for example, because this is only the number of active players playing ranked. Yeah. Um, so it's not like the rank, right? Yeah, this is the number of people that have actually gotten a rank as yeah. well, I think. So if you've just played one rank game, you wouldn't even show up here. But this is like 1.3 million playing in North America that have gotten a rank this act. Uh, 2.4 million in Europe that have gotten an a rank in this act. Um, it's interesting just to see the difference in the size of different regions as well. I had no idea that Europe would be nearly twice as big as North America. You wouldn't have guessed it based Doesn't on the viewership. No. You would not yeah. have guessed it. No. Which is, I mean, we, we have beaten that topic to death. Yeah. But it is just tragic when you see that there's nearly double the players playing ranked in Europe, but the viewership compared to NA. And the attention that the scene gets is just non-existent. It doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, it's it is actually. It's like someone absurd. has a vendetta against Europeans in Riot, <laughs> yeah, and they're is. just determined to make them play Bo ones and <laughs> suffer for the rest of eternity. Yeah, yeah, it's, Some it's interesting though. Torture, but l l the numbers are interesting actually. For Brazil, there's over half a million, five hundred seventy thousand, and that's only in Brazil because the rest of Latin America has another three hundred forty-six k yeah. as well. So you add those together, that's like nearly a million players that are playing in South America in ranked. I was amazed by Southeast Asia actually as well mm -hmm. because. The numbers in Korea are pretty disappointing. I think people in this thread were like, wow, that's actually pretty big in Korea. But the thing with Korea is if they like your game, everyone and their mothers are playing the game. So <laughs> 260,000 is really not that big as far as I'm aware in Korea. Um, you, you'd, you'd be hoping for it to be a like major region. But Southeast Asia is, is big. And what I'm thinking here is maybe this is a bunch of the Chinese user base using Southeast Asian accounts as well. Yeah, could be. Uh, because it hasn't officially released in China yet. Yeah, I, it's, it's in, I mean, I think they've just targeted their approach to the game in terms of marketing it has been really good. They've, they've essentially, they've got markets already where people are playing League of Legends in almost worldwide, with the exception of countries like Russia, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess they're still playing, they're playing a lot of League of Legends in China as well. But Typically, the tactical shooter genre was what? Crossfire? Um, yeah, sudden attack Sudden as attack, well in like Korea. in a lot of these other regions. And this is what we were saying right at the beginning. I remember one of the first episodes of Plancha Valorant we did was saying how the future of this game could be fucking massive because n like no tactical shooter has taken over the world on a global scale. But yeah. Valorant could. And we are seeing the numbers here. Clearly, it is taking over the world in terms of all those regions with the exception, yeah, it's disappointing in Korea. That's why Riot are... Uh, subsidizing teams yes like that's why they're actually putting an active effort into it but overall it's incredibly promising i think just off of the ranked numbers alone like i've got friends who don't play ranked at all like i know many people who don't play ranked they only play unrated yeah, like yeah. The, the actual user base the player base is even bigger than this yeah and, and yet it's yeah. released in china yeah wasn't there <laughs> wasn't there rumblings about like a br coming in the game too or something like that or is that just I don't know. Nonsense. Yeah, I'd seen people like tweeting about it, but I don't know where the source of that information came from. Um, I don't, there was also rumblings about player base. Yeah, there was also rumblings about um, a mobile version of the game, but I don't yeah. know whether that ever. I think that was like maybe some files were misnamed or something. No, no, no. no. It was that's like actually has credence because uh, it was when the game was in beta, I think, 
somebody accidentally launched it on their Windows 10 touchpad laptop <laughs> without like without their mouse like enabled and it enabled a bunch of developer touchscreen controls like oh, actual right. mobile oh, okay. like you could see yeah, the mobile yeah. controls oh, right, so like this okay. is something that they are actively working on is like a mobile version of the game yeah yeah I mean, can you imagine listen, doing that? You just unplug your mouse and suddenly you, a bunch of touchscreen stuff comes up and you're like, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> and I'm banned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, um, yeah, it, it, I would love for Riot to release numbers at some point. I, we've always said the same thing about Overwatch 2. Overwatch Blizzard is a black box as well. It's not the same as Steam. You can't tell what the monthly active users are. But they recently announced that Overwatch had still had 10 million monthly active users. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason that they announced that was because it was like an earnings call for Activision Blizzard and stuff. And so they're actually, there's financial reasons for the company to release that because it's good information to release yeah. out for the public for that company. So I would imagine that Riot probably won't release numbers about Valorant until they're very happy with what the numbers are. And otherwise they'll just keep it under wraps and let people kind of try and figure it out themselves. But I really wish we had some idea, even if they release like, is the percentage of monthly active users that currently use ranked and then you could use that to try and figure out what the overall number was at that point why not just release the numbers <laughs> yeah, I mean, because then just... they haven't officially said anything you okay. know so yeah. it's like they have yeah. deniability right, or whatever yeah. and it's not officially coming from them yeah. i don't know you could kind of piece it together yeah um what do you think sean about this clickbait question <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> this is where we make the ad revenue let it rip josh <laughs> Do you think Valorant can become larger than CS:GO? Do you think that there's a, do you think that even makes sense as a comparison? And if you do, do you think it can be bigger than CS:GO? CS:GO is a stepping stone, Sideshow. Then we're going to go to League of Legends, and after that we take down Candy Crush, and we have a billion concurrent, you know, I don't know. I I really do. Like I think uh Val I'm super impressed with how the devs have handled the game and how the growth has been so far. I th honestly thought the numbers would be bigger than they are right now, if I'm being, if I'm being quite honest, because I thought the game played really well. I think it has a lot of cool aspects. I thought bigger streamers would flock to the game. And that's part of the reason why I think, you know, something like BR or mobile, when if that hits this game, which it will probably, based on how these devs are, are operating, like they're way on top of things once that happens and the casual user has more ways to play the game than ranked or spike rush i i i don't know like i think the viewership is going to go through the roof and then you get esports integration within the game itself like they're doing things that cs took years and years and years to do right mm -hmm. and they're doing it really really quickly they have a massive team so i have tons of faith like yes i do think it's going to pass cs up but I think that's in large part to do with how they're handling the casual community of this game and combining that into esports. But also, like you guys mentioned previously, they're getting Asia involved, which yeah. CS has always kind of failed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's worrying for the CS scenes? Obviously, CS in North America right now has been plucked somewhat dry um, with a lot of people moving over to Europe in order to participate in more I guess not really local tournaments, that's the wrong word, but you have to be in that central area because of COVID if you want to compete at the top level. And then the North American scene itself has then dried up. Some of the top organizations have lost their players. Some people have moved over to Valorant and stuff. What I'm thinking about in terms of this too is the fresh crop of tactical FPS players that are coming up. People like 
Asner and Tens, but three years ago when they were getting into the game and thinking about like, where do I want to play if I want to go pro? When I think about that, I'm kind of concerned that Valorant might steal those young talents that are trying to go pro in yeah. tactical FPS I mean, games. Yeah, all the I always go back to because there's so many of them, but all the all the kids who got their start playing competitive games in Fortnite because it was so easy to start there. Yeah, those guys those guys who are playing Fortnite. They're they're 14, 15 year olds. Yeah. They're probably not going to CS, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I definitely think. C Valorant will probably end up getting that next generation of player, but something that I think Valorant will never be able to compete with and never be able to like squash CS is the fact that the community in CS, like everything in CS is created by the community from yes, the maps yeah. to the skins to the mods. I mean, think about all the mods in, in CS. There's like KZ mod, Surf mod, Zombie mod. There's holy shit there's like a million mods i'm not yeah. even gonna just name them all right there's so many communities in cs that have been created by the players themselves and thus they're they're hooked like if you create a community like that you're going to be more inclined to make it succeed right like there's yeah. so many people working to make cs succeed and that doesn't exist yet in valorant there's not enough modes there's not enough freedom to move around and create your own stuff in the game so I think there'll always be a place for CS, and I think it'll always be a massive, a massive use for it, as long as Valve just doesn't let it die, which they, it doesn't seem like they're going to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think they can both exist together. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always believe that maps, specifically in games, will never be as good as the community could do. Just because if you have everybody in the community can potentially make a map, the available thoughts and creative people involved that it's an it's a numbers game at that point someone in the community is going to make a better map than you ever could as a developer that has been signed to that um uh company and mm -hmm. it's something that i think we really missed out on in overwatch because they locked everything down is that there have never been any community made maps and a lot of the maps have pretty severe problems that are slow to get resolved I think map making in something in Valorant has been the I would say the maps have been the most criticized portion of Valorant. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether that's fair, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's true. And I don't think that the maps in Valorant will ever be as good as the maps in CS unless there is a community component to it. I just don't believe that you can you can get the same kind of refinement that you did in CS uh unless you allow, you know, thousands of people access to be able to work on it and tinker and try and create their best products that they can do themselves and years and years to refine those products too mm -hmm. from many generations of counter-strike yeah i do feel like the the riot devs have their their pulse on the community way better than cs devs did like mm. before cs released uh danger zone that's what's called the the battle royale in the game i said i was like CS is gonna die. This was, I think, it was like DreamHack Marseille. I was talking to like the talent backstage. I, I remember this. I was like, CS needs to make the game free to play, and they need to create something that drives influencers into the game to create content. And like within six months, I think they made the game free to play, and they released Danger Zone. And I was like, holy shit, CS is about to just blow up. And then they started like you know, doing all this stuff with Perfect World in Asia. I was like, oh my God, they're doing all the things that I want them to do. But I don't know, Valve just lost, they lost their footing on the whole Danger Zone thing. They didn't have a good read on like what to, how to make a good BR. And 
so far, it seems like every time Valve has made a significant change to the game, they're off. They're off every time. From the gun updates to the mods that they release to you know, like everything. Everything seems slightly off. Whereas when I look at Riot and their updates to Valorant, they seem like they have a pretty... They're close. They're always close to what the community wants. Cool. And it just seems like Valve isn't there. I don't know why. I mean, they just don't have... I don't know. Do Valve even have community managers? They have people on the ground floor. It feels like when so, they have this, the, the side of their company. I applied so, to be a community manager. Uh, really? I made like an insane, like, because you could actually apply for any job. You could create a job for Valve. Like you can go to their website right now and you can apply for a job that you create. So really? I did this. Yeah. I, I, God, I can I, think of so many jobs <laughs> that I could create that are nonsense. You, they wouldn't you provide so economic good. value. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You use that mouth. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> did we miss something? idea. Wow, that's incredible. But yeah, so I did this. Uh, I think it was the Katowice major in like 2019 or something. So many Katowice majors I've gone to. I did it there. Like I made like a, I made an insane cover letter. I was like, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna nail this shit. I'm definitely gonna get this job. And no, I didn't get the job. They declined. Yeah. It. They don't need that. I so, don't think they have no. community managers. Like every every major game right now has somebody who is a community manager who has their finger on the pulse, and yeah. they are the ones who are connecting the developers to the yeah. general community and the telling them what's going on. Well. Yeah, like a spokesperson, a face for for I guess delivering information, news about why a decision was made, about why this balance update came in, why this was delayed. You know, uh, to to. Just literally let the masses know what's going on. And Valve have always been just this monolithic company, <laughs> just like yeah. hidden in the dark. They've never, mm. they've never given any information whatsoever. I actually saw a post pop off on the Global Offensive uh, subreddit because, um, <laughs> because, because Gabe Newell said uh, CSGO once in an interview. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, he was doing a recent interview about, I think it was, I think it was maybe. If, I might VR have got this wrong. But I think it was about VR. I think it was about brain interfacing. I read that games. article. Yeah, yeah, and and I think he did an he did well, like a, a live video. he did a live video interview about the article that was written about brain interfacing games in VR. I think that's this was it. And he said something like, "And you know, if people want to play Counter Strike or Dota around the world, and and people just clipped out and they posted it up, and they were like, Valve knows they care. <laughs> Daddy said my name, and it's Fuck like it it's wild to see." Because as well, we, we all come from TF2 as well, Sean, which is just, I mean, you could God not almighty. find a more redheaded stepchild <laughs> <laughs> ever in the history of, of Valve. We were locked in a cupboard and beaten with sticks every night. We got a blog post and we were happy. Yeah. We, yeah. We, blog post saying, yeah, there's a tournament happening at DreamHack and they, they would post it to five people. And we'd be like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Daddy Gabe just says your name. He's like he's coming at you, arms arms wide, ready to give you a hug, and he just slaps you. He's just, no, it's not a hug. Just get back down, Dota. Another Ti. One more. Forty million dollars for Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your favorite teams to get back into the pro scene a little bit. Who have you watched that you really enjoy watching, uh, and even not just teams, but players? If you've enjoyed watching players as well, like when you watch tournaments. Who are you looking out for? Are you a fan of everyone, uh, of anyone? Uh, Vision Strikers, definitely number one team to watch. I really like watching them. And then probably like Sentinels, but I did, I, 
if I'm being honest, I've been feeling pretty shitty lately. So I haven't watched any of the tournaments and I didn't see how they lost to Luminosity. I would have right. probably been disappointed if I watched that. Um, but before the new year, I would say Sentinels, 100 Thieves, Vision Strikers, probably my go-to watches. Mm. Are there any players that you think have a particularly good grasp on the game or you enjoy watching or like an IGL that you really respect from the scene? No, they all suck. <laughs> no, uh, Steel is doing a lot of really good things with 100 Thieves. Uh, I really think Hiko has progressed to be like the best over in NA. I think Sinatra is super good instinctually. Like, I think he has very good instincts when I watch him play the game, which mm. it, it's half the battle in Valorant is like knowing when and how to use your abilities based on when and where your opponents are using them. And I think his instincts are just so on point when I watch him. So he's fun to watch. Mm. I I wanna I wanna start ranking stuff. Okay. Uh, clickbait. Yeah. Doing what, top go, five teams. Clickbait what part two, Sean. This hey, is yes. how content creation yeah. works. You gotta pay the bills for the studio now, Sean. Here we go. <laughs> we we were so we wanted to go through some top five NA teams, but I know that you haven't been following the game as recently because you said you were feeling under the weather. So what, what I'd like to do, I think, is like looking forward for 2021. Mm. So It's like who's going to perform? Yeah, so team, best teams to look out for in 2021 in North America, judging by like the, what you saw towards the end of 2020. Because um, I know that as well, there was, um, I think it was Hazed, but it might have been the, also the Envy guys. Um, I think it was Mummy and Caboose, went on to the Immortal Minds and they were giving the most outrageous hot takes for the top five NA teams like a month back. So I'm interested to hear kind of who's, who's caught your eye and where you think like the progression of these teams is going to be in the future too. Oof. I think 100 Thieves probably cements themselves as... Ooh, no, actually, so Nitro just had a kid. Holy, is going to at least... Yeah. As someone that's had a kid, that's, that's, I don't know about that. You think that's a deal breaker? <laughs> I fall off. I don't know. Um, I, I have a lot of faith in 100 Thieves, though. Just how Steel prepares and what it's like in this game if you want to win. I think 100 Thieves is up there. I think Envy is up there. I would probably put Sentinels in, like, tied for, like, second, third. I don't know. I thought TSM would fall off. I really did. I thought TSM would fall off at first strike. I wasn't really impressed with them going into first strike. I was so surprised when I saw them like just dominate everyone. Yeah. Um, I think that mirrors actually the yeah all of our yeah. feelings as well. Mm -hmm. We thought that with with the um, op getting nerfed. And yeah. with the fact that they seemed like they were on a bit of a decline they were anyway. Kind of, yeah, it was the petering out almost. It, it, yeah, I think it was, uh, it was during that Sabrosa IGL era. I just think they had yeah. the wrong roles on the team at the time. Any they, team they that, so well. that does like the thing where it's like, hey, I'm going to IGL this week and then next week it's someone else and then like three weeks later it's someone else. Yeah. I'm not buying into them long term. Like, I'm just not. I don't. There's no one at the helm to tell people how to play or like what to do. It's it goes beyond just like calling the strats and around. It's like game plan shit. Like no yeah. one on that team is creating a game plan. Clearly, clearly, if no one wants the IGL and just call the strats in the game, no one's gonna do the shit outside of the game necessary to win. So I'm not 
in love with TSM long-term. That doesn't mean I think they have insane pieces on their team that could be in like the top long-term. Yeah. Mm, I'm pretty, I don't know, man. I, I kind of want to put a sleeper in there right now. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put four and five are going to be sleeper picks. Uh, T1 number four. Okay. And then I'm going to go my last pick and box. Okay. I'm not even, <laughs> not even we don't don't even have a graphic. It's not how much of a sleeper pick it was. We weren't even prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think they caught they caught like a awkward thing with first strike with Poach being sick. Yeah. And I liked their approach to maps. It was like different. It's yeah. different. Yeah. Love watching so, Unbox. Yes. Like we, we've talked quite a bit about Unbox on this show too, because they they strike us at least as being probably the most strategically and tactically good team out of the tier two level teams where they're trying to punch up to tier one, where they're trying to make semis and win big yeah. tournaments and that kind of thing. And they seem to be much strategically better than the looser play of teams like, I don't know, FaZe, for example, yeah. or, mm -hmm. um, or even LG, LG if you for, compare yeah. tactically. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it hasn't really translated into results as much. But I can definitely see that if you're looking forward to 2021, I do have, I do have good expectations for Unbox. Like I, they're the kind of team to me that they've got the foundation there, ready to perform yeah. next year. Yeah. It's just about them clicking a bit better and having like the the synergy between their players and reacting fast. But all the the planning seems good. I'm gonna say this. I think TSM is like a. This, this is gonna sound weird, but like they're like a change away from being like the best team in NA. Like Do you if mean a player put, it, put it this way, yeah, like if Steel was on TSM, they'd be the best team in NA. I, mm. I firmly believe mm. that. Like I, or if mm. Days was on TSM, they would be the best, probably like the best team in NA. Like You've, they just don't really? have leadership. They lack leadership. All of the tools, like all their players, are great players, but I mean, they just don't they don't look prepared enough when I watch them. Like certain games, they look so flat, so flat. Like they've yeah. just changed nothing. And then some games it looks like they show up for, which probably if I had to guess, their coach has like a game plan for and probably created like a first gun round strap for them, a pistol round strap for them. And like, they kind of just go through the flow of like the game plan. But when you're like grinding through a tournament, like you're playing a, an opponent that you can't prepare for, you need like an in-game leader. You need one. Yeah. Otherwise, there's going to be tons of variance in your results. And that's why I can't put them here right now. Like, I think that they should be here. Like, they probably won't lose to teams in, like, the long term. Like, in the short, in the short term, they'll probably, like, be, you know, in the top 10. But unless they have a roster change or unless someone really steps up to the plate on their team as a leader, I don't see them, you know, being the best team in NA. On the point of leadership, do you think that it's viable for teams moving forward to have a coach as an in-game leader? Um, you know, obviously once the tools are added as well, because there aren't a lot of coaching tools in the game right now. But do you think that that's a viability for a team maybe like TSM uh, once those tools are added? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what I would want to do if I was a team right now. That's why I'm not really like even interested in like any coaching or GM offers is like, we don't know what Riot's stance is on coaches right now. Yeah. Like they could come right. down tomorrow and be like, no coaches. We're never going to add a coach spectator slot into scrims. It's just not going to happen, guys. We only want them out of the server and they can't calm when you're in the game and that's it. 
Like they could say that tomorrow. Like that yeah, could I literally could, happen. They totally could. Yeah, I can absolutely so, see a world where they uh, mirror kind of, I suppose, what it is, what, what goes on in League of Legends, essentially for the esports side of things, where the coaches have input in. This is an interesting concept. Like the prospect of with the introduction of the amount of agents that are being added, like a pick and ban draft. Yeah, coming yeah. into the game and actually being a part of the that sort of level of play. I can see that them kind of mirroring their attitude towards coaches in League of Legends, which is the coaches are allowed to have input during that draft stage. But once it gets in game, it's it's up to the team and you're on your own, like as a team. And I think I quite like that, honestly. It adds more importance to uh, to, to players who can IGL. You know, it makes it a, a, a sought after skill in yeah. terms of some players. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's also probably going to be worries about Riot when they look over at what happened in CS to the coaching slot being abused yeah. and it being an enormous problem in, on, on, in online competition. And that needs to be something that if they add a coaching slot is absolutely 100% bug free. Otherwise, all of online Valorant is therefore useless and yeah. you've got yeah. rampaging problems within the scene. Um, so I think they'll probably be hyper aware of that kind of stuff, even if they weren't thinking about it that much before. Yeah, that whole the whole coaching thing in CS is absolutely ridiculous. Like it totally tainted everything that happened in online counter, even land counter strike. That could be happening on land. Like, I, mm -hmm. I mean, as someone that had it, like I literally didn't even have a coach throughout my entire career as a player, pretty much, other than like maybe one year. I was really missing out. It's fucking missing out, dude. Could have Could have had a spy cam. A lot more prize yeah. money. Yeah. 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 yeah, no punishment either. Like I could have literally just been winning for free yeah. yeah 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 it is crazy the other thing as well that um has been happening as well is uh, stream sniping too that's that's the current hot button topic within the cs scene as well is that a lot of people yeah. the esic had to basically say there was so much stream sniping that we couldn't enforce the rules of stream sniping so yeah. they just basically said it is not allowed zero tolerance moving on into the future if we catch you you are going to I, like pay a hefty fine or or whatever um so somebody had a stream on in the background i think it was i want to say it was astralis but i can't i don't think it was, it was but there was some team in a recent tournament had the stream on in the background and they got a, a pretty hefty fine for that too mm. and that made me think actually of first strike when we were watching heretics play yeah. and lowell had the stream up on his phone watching when it went yeah, to the I, saw I saw that yeah, it was literally, oh, I mean, dude. it was yeah. undoubtedly the stream. And I naively said at the time that I didn't think that that was really a thing that would happen in Valorant or CS because it's such outdated information at that point. But Dude, I disagree. I think, yeah, I apparently think if you I'm get just caught, being dude, naive, I saw that. I saw that. And I was like, I can't believe that there's not going to be any action taken against well, this right now when, the, when nothing happened. Yeah, nothing afterwards happened. it came out that... Um, and it, I mean, it, it was posted. He he got tagged in something on Twitter. There was a clip from the same game, and he had opened it up. Right. And it was you can you can see the tweet, and it it, it matches what he pulled up. Mm, right. Okay. So like he didn't pull up the stream. Okay. He clicked on a tweet with a clip of a play that he made in that same match, and it looked right. like he was watching. The, stream. the entire thing about that though is that it's such a um, when you play in an online setting you have to have like a blanket ban of all of that kind of stuff so the yeah. players are scared to even try it in sure, case yeah, they no, get course, caught out course, i think yeah. you know? how do you how do you enforce that shit well you you the only way of enforcing it is to have player cams on them at all times yeah. and some administrator yeah. watching uh, for the big games i mean for open qualifiers it is literally unenforceable you can't mm -hmm. do it um but that's what i mean that's one of the reasons why lands cannot come quick enough
I mean, yeah. think about all the info you could get, even if it's like a, I mean, a three minute delay. Like, what if you your game plan was, okay, we're just gonna hit A for the first like three minutes of this game. Fuck it, we'll just hit A really, really slow. And we're gonna see like the cipher trips or the killjoy alarm bot that's on the other side of the map. And we know exactly how to approach that in round five. Yep. Like, yeah. what the fuck? That's, that's so busted. Like that's so busted that the possibility of that happening in this game in particular. So I think there should be a lot of action taken to stop that. And that's part of the reason why I think the whole coaching thing in Valorant is a little bit sketchy right now, because I've, I've been on Immortal Mind shows with both like Hazed and Shazam, and they've told me, I've literally heard them say that Taylor, it's, it's in one of the VODs somewhere, Taylor was in one of the streams, like, and he was watching the stream, but no one enforces it and no one cares. So it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, it, it's also yeah, very hard turning to a blind, enforce blind as eye well. to it. Yeah. Yeah, it, th that is, it is wild. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, it, the other thing as well is it happens in Overwatch too. Sure. Overwatch is much less exploitable. Yeah, because yeah, it's just so yeah. fluid, right? It, it's very fluid. Yeah. And also, it's not like you can look at someone's setups. You can't tell where the cipher trips are or anything like that. Yeah, right. can't tell where people are holding or what positions they like to hold or anything that would be relatable whatsoever. But the Overwatch League does also say that you're not supposed to have coaches, like, for example, calling for the team as it's happening. Um but when you look at the player cams, you can see coaches in the background. You don't know what they could be doing. The Overwatch League is pretty good at being able to lock down certain things. But in an online world, you can't lock down everything. It's, it's really difficult to be able to do so. And, but but you, still have to, you still have to go as far as you can to enforce yeah. in, reasonable In the play. Overwatch League, they have a pretty good system where it's online. They have a TeamSpeak server that's like an ex it's a, a .exe, whatever. It's like a .bat file or something that they've set up purposely where it will open up the program, and if you click on it, you get added into the server with your name as your player. Your coach can come in, but it will automatically, the coach's cam will get muted and mm. um, during the game. Yeah, and you can't change any of the settings. You can't change you can't any of the settings, fuck yeah. with the executable whatsoever. They also remote into your computer to check at the beginning of every day yeah. to make sure yeah. that you don't have anything weird on your PC. And then they have administrators but looking at the That's the level you need to well. go to. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, yeah. that is the level you need to go to, and it still doesn't cover everything. Yeah. So I, I would like to see it covered more in, in Valorant for the online yeah. scene. Stream sniping is just like the lowest hanging fruit. Like, there's just so many things that people could use to cheat. Like... Mm. <laughs> It's actually crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, as a wrap to this episode, I think we'll end with a topic here. Um, and the third and final cherry on the top of the clickbait pie that we've been baking is talking about <laughs> your challenger predictions and hot takes for the, uh, for I guess, the, the first stage of the challenges, which is coming up. Um, at the start of February, end of end of January, I suppose, this kind of time. Uh, you've already said like you've got some hot takes in terms of where you think teams going to go, like T1 and, and Ambox. Is there, any, uh, is there any hot take you want to just bust out on this show that we can just quote directly? <laughs> hot take that I could just quote directly? Well, no, I mean, that. we don't have to quote it directly, but is there any any hot take, any anything that, you know, just you've been simmering away on the pot and pan, you know, you got a, you're on the side of your kitchen table, you, you just want to dish it out? Um, I, I'd lead I you on somewhere better, but I really don't I know. know. I don't know the internals of your mind. I don't know where you're thinking, yeah, you know? I don't got anything really. But I will say, I wanted to put actually that fist spot. I really wanted to put Dignitas in that fist spot instead mm, of Really? 
But so, yeah, Dig my, just made my, some big moves as well. My one concern with this team is that they have one of their brains on Reyna. Som should have never made the yep. switch from Soba to Reyna. Ever. Yep. He should have Agreed. never done that. Agreed. And it totally... I, I understand he's a great player. He has insane aim. But he, you should never have someone with his personality on Reyna. Like, mm -hmm. that just never happened. Yeah. And, and not saying he's a bad Reyna. I'm not saying that. People will misinterpret this big time. But I think that's kind of a hot take, I guess, is that I think Dignitas has potential to be, like, a top five team. And they just need to get their players in the right roles. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like, I have a lot of faith in depth as an IGL. That's I so have good. a lot of faith in Psalm as, like, a person. Like, literally, I've, I've watched him watched videos about him i've watched his stream like i'm super confident that the lineup they've created with those two and superman is like an up-and-coming player and then makalov if he sticks on the team also is like an up-and-coming player like they definitely have an insane foundation around that team a very good foundation so i'm pretty confident they're gonna be good yeah, I'm actually really interested to see how their new players integrate into that as well because they've uh, they said that they've benched Superman yeah, and they're, they're trying out two new players oh, too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, they're trying out Rara, who's on the T1 Academy team, mm. and then uh, what team after that? Rise, and then uh, Ryan as well, who just I think more recently switched over. He played oh. with Moon Raccoons in their final outing mm -hmm. for a bit uh on the smoke roll yeah i'm not so. convinced with these two signings but i also think that the roles were a much bigger issue and if the signings of these players allow them to fiddle the roles around back to how they should be then it's gonna be a positive move yeah well rara is a flash duelist primarily mm -hmm. so right, right. presumably psalm will no longer be on that role which i fully agree he shouldn't have been on in the first place because he's one of the more intelligent utility players he's one of the more creative players with the abilities in the game i feel when I, whenever i watched him on the sova role you know back throughout the ignition series and then to put him on the role that requires the least intelligence used with your utility is yeah. just it was not not the duh, move. click e or click q like duh. <laughs> like no i don't want some on that agent yeah. like i want him fucking shooting arrows telling me where the enemy is man yeah, like, yeah. absolutely yeah that's what hard, i want hard agree i mean there's also still a role overlap with some if he goes back to the sova and maka yeah, but and maka looks so good so i feel yeah, like maka gotta... is good on sova yeah maka was really good on sova but i think it had more to do with him as a player than him on sova Yes, where I, I think Psalms, I think Psalm's proficiency more had more to do. Yeah, but I think he, he his proficiency had more to do with the role and the utility. Where I think Mac yeah. is just good. I would like to see them run a single duelist, uh, breach sova kind of composition sure. with with yeah. Sam moving over. Sam or Maca, honestly, moving over to the breach and having breach sova there. And I think that Def could control that incredibly well. Um, De yeah, Def is way too good for. And I'm, the, yeah. Def is way too good for that team to not be in at least the top 10. Yeah, I think Def is the best guys, player on that team. I'm so impressed with him whenever I watch him. What if we make a team, guys, and we just have the wackest comps that just upset these teams? <laughs> us yes. us four, who do we get as a fifth? I'm talking three <laughs> initiators, two sentinel comps. I think we, yeah. could, take, I think we could definitely upset someone. We, we could really we, piss yeah, we would, off. we would fuck up the <laughs> scene. Just break we would brains. really piss a team off. Like, start defense, literally win 12-0, and just 
I don't even know. We just have to rush the same site every round to get one round. That's, that's the only I mean, surely we'll get one, right? I mean, we just got to get lucky. We just got to get yeah, Sideshow running in with an Odin, like a stray bullet just gets a headshot. That's all we need. One time. That just needs to happen one time. Yeah. I yeah. like it. I, I think it's very possible. We'll work on that, I think. Yeah. We actually had a strategy that Bren cooked up in his brain last week. <laughs> I think okay. we should give people an update on that, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, oh. Sean was a, a former top-level IGL, okay. yes. I think it is. So, oh, Sean. Listen like to this. this. Listen to this, this Giga Brain Strat. Okay, so you got a brimstone. New smoke changes. He's got like a minute mm -hmm. off the clock already with the smokes, okay? Yeah. Haven, attack side, all right? Am I selling you so far? I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Okay. in. okay, wonderful. <laughs> I think you start with like a Killjoy. You have, I think, a Phoenix... Sky, and I, you can have whatever else you want, I think. This is too on the fly for yeah. me. This is too on the fly. Right. I thought this was fleshed out already. I no, thought he no, had no. the comp. I'm it getting is. there. We okay, tried okay. it in our it comps. Is, I don't know, why, I don't know why he's making okay. it up on the fly, because no, this to, is literally the same thing I'm trying to remember. The, I'm trying to remember the composition, because I'm trying to remember the exact placements. All right, so the Killjoy turret on C side, they're watching the flank. They got an alarm bomb on A side, on garden. On the A side garners, yeah. they're watching the A, okay. the A flank with their turret, okay? They got an alarm bot in mid. They are lurking in mid. This is on the pistol round, okay? And they're just lurking Lurk. in a really fucked up angle. Like no one's gonna check this. <laughs> like the Killjoy's just sitting there. They are purely just there to try and get a kill and just watch the flank. Meanwhile, Brimstone, smoke at the top of C. You kind of fake and bait around. Maybe you take the orb, but you, you kind of keep them guessing. And meanwhile, four of your teammates <laughs> all slowly creep into the smoke. You wait until 18.25 seconds. The second smoke goes down. You wait again <laughs> until 18.25 seconds. The third smoke goes down. At this point, the enemy is bewildered. They've already pushed long A. The Killjoy's already got two kills. <laughs> you might as well have won the round it's off the back of this. It's almost won. <laughs> <laughs> Five seconds before the last smoke comes down, the Brimstone lays down the stim pack. Five flashes come out from every angle. The Phoenix <laughs> comes out with flashes. The sky comes out with birds. It's like a fucking bird cage on sea. Everything. No one can see. No one can see because everyone is blind. You rush out the smoke and you take the site through brute force. Now, we tried this strat. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I think the first two times we tried it, it didn't work because the team, were, they, they just couldn't adapt on the fly. They weren't agile enough. You mean the enemy team? No, our team. Oh, our team. We, need, right, right. we needed some proper like NA pug stars, like people who were just really good at adapting on the fly. But the third time we tried it, it worked. Yes, the third time we tried it, yeah, it had a 33% win rate in right. The now, first time, okay. someone just walked into the smoke and killed two of us. So, so that's, that's a severe problem. That's just a risk you got to take. It is a risk you take. Normally, you, they're not supposed to have the utility in their hands when the second smoke is out. They're supposed to have their guns mm. in case they counter your strap by walking into the smoke. <laughs> right, okay, right. What, if, what if, what uh -huh. if I pop my Yoru all? and I'm just running around while the flashes are going off and I'm pinging, I'm pinging furiously yep. like where they are. Mm, I and like you it. guys are what? all blind. Everyone's blind. You guys are just shooting where the pings are. <laughs> and we're just, <laughs> we're just <laughs> it's wild, it's wild. Everyone's screen's white. Everyone's screen is just. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. That, the like the this? one issue with that is yeah. that this is a pistol round 
attack haven default. Well, we can bring it out frenzies. We need too. frenzies then. We need frenzies. No yeah. armor. I mean, we could we bring it out in other rounds as well. Yeah. But I like to I like to use it to really solidify our win on a pistol. That's why yeah. you bring the I cigar. Mean, the problem yeah. is if you do it on a later round and they have rifles and spray the smoke at all, they're probably killing someone. <laughs> they're getting a 4K. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're getting a 4K. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it needs some tinkering, but I think it has legs. Um, yeah. Ma imagine walking up and just an Odin starts shooting. <laughs> your eyes, your eyes sink back to the back of your skull. <laughs> sweat, a sweat bead comes. To <laughs> yeah. You realize, oh fuck. So <laughs> yeah, pistol round. We've been trying out Brenner's IGL, but I don't think we're gonna make challenges. <laughs> yeah. Good happen. You never know. You never know. Yeah, All right. I, 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 I think it. that's gonna conclude the episode in its entirety. Thank you, Sean, for coming on as well. Your time is uh, is quite precious, and uh, you provide a lot of insight as well. Really do appreciate you coming onto the show, man. No, dude. Thanks for having me. You guys are yeah. hilarious, and I love all your guys' content. So keep it All up. right. Wonderful Sweet. stuff, yeah. And I can catch you on twitch.tv slash, I don't is it Sean? It's uh, S. Garris. S. Garris. A-R-E-S. There you go. We've got the Twitter link at the bottom as well. Make sure you leave a comment on this episode of Backchat as well, what you want to see our next guest to be. I think we, we do need to get Sliggy on at some point. Definitely. He says he yeah. wants to come on, so yeah. probably looking at maybe Sliggy for the next one. But make sure you leave a comment. Tell us who you want next. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Backchat. See you then.